Triple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello there. Welcome back to the latest episode of Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability. Welcome, welcome. Get cozy, get sexy, put on your favorite clothes, get comfortable. Let's do this thing. Let's talk about sex and disability. I was mulling over which topic I should actually use for this episode. I really wasn't sure which one I wanted to do. A few months ago when I started talking to my audience about what I wanted to put on the podcast, I started a Google Doc. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you may have added to it where people could put their ideas about what they wanted me to write for blogs and what they wanted me to write for podcast ideas into this into this file. And so one of the first ones was the, that was put up there was one about genitalia. And I wrote it down, and I, I kind of let it sit for a while. And I, I was like, okay, I'm going to let it sit. I'm going to let it grow and, and turn into this thing, whatever it is. I'm going to think about it some more. And it, it, it kind of jostled around in my brain for the next few months. And now, today, I decided to birth it and bring it out into the world and share my thoughts on disability and genitalia, or as I've referred to it in this episode, my gimpy genitals. Knob. Cock. Tits, pussy, ass, penis, vagina, clitoris, labia, breasts. These are the these are some of the terms that we use to describe our body parts, our private parts, our genitals. Around just generally, these are the terms that quote normal able bodies would use to discuss the body and discuss their sex organs and discuss their pleasure organs and discuss parts of their body that that bring pleasure parts of their body their sex organs basically this is the these are the some of the colloquial and medicalized terms that we use to describe our sex organs these terminologies are readily accepted in our society and readily used openly almost every day when we talk about sex and our bodies but it somehow has come to pass that when you're disabled, these terminologies are not used around your body. You are often not introduced to this language or it is entirely removed from your vocabulary. I remember the first time that I got to say cock to somebody. I remember I was 19 and I got to actually say the word to somebody that I was messing around with and it was like this weird rite of passage that I actually said cock and meant it in a sexual way and as a disabled person I took pride in being able to say that word um, because it's one that I never really had had heard used to describe my genitals before. 
and actually it was I didn't even get to say it. It was me online talking to a guy about maybe hooking up and, and I, I used the word cock to describe my genitals and I was very, very pleased with myself that I got to use that term. I remember always having a strange relationship with my body and genitalia. Ever since I was a little boy, my penis has been handled and touched by others in an effort to help me use the toilet and go pee. So ever since I was about, well, ever since I was young and, and out of diapers, I, you know, my, I, I used the urinal to go pee and somebody would have to help me with that and I would stand up at a bar that I had in my bathroom at home and I would hold my body up while somebody put the urinal underneath my penis and I would then pee. They would help me do all of that and that was part of my ritual and it just became something that I was used to. I got used to my parents touching my genitals, my caregivers touching my genitals, nurses and doctors touching my genitals, um, having them washed, trimmed, pulled, touched and uncovered in very, very quasi-professional kind of ways around how my body was viewed. And, and this really became second nature to me as a young disabled person. I really just understood that this part of my body was for this thing and, and you kind of compartmentalize it that way and then that's that's pretty much all that happens is you compartmentalize that your penis is for peeing and that's it. Um, and that is something that even though I've grown up and gone through puberty, which we'll talk about in a second, um, when I did all of that, even even now, even at 33, there's an understanding that, that this part of my body is used also in not, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it, used in, in professional ways. And it's very um, interesting to learn to have to compartmentalize your body that way. But I think any disabled person who receives care like that and who needs help like that will tell you this really truly does become second nature and you don't you don't even feel weird about it at a certain point because it's something you need and you're simply going to get that need met and somebody has to help you with this and there's no there's nothing strange about it you just accept that as part of your day part of your part of what you need to get your bodily needs met and so your penis for me my penis and my and my sex organ didn't really feel like a sex organ and oftentimes doesn't feel like a sex organ. I think in some ways I am dealing with some body dysmorphia around my, my, my penis because it doesn't feel like a sex organ all the time because it's been so trained to be a an organ simply to remove urine from the body. That's it. That's all it's for. It it doesn't it doesn't it does not get more than that. So it's really hard for me to see my penis as something that is sexually appealing. And I have more to say on my penis, don't worry. I, I'll talk more about my particular penis in just a minute. Um, I'm not sure why I said particular there, but there you have it. Um, so it, it does, certainly the way that, that your body in your, your sexual organ is, is compartmentalized plays a role. And even though for years... I would say, oh, no, it doesn't bother me that, that my body is, is viewed this way. But as I was writing notes for this and really thinking about what I was writing and thinking about what I would say on when I hit record, I started to realize that, holy fuck, it did bother me a lot. It does bother me a lot. And it's really something that bugs me that my sex organ is not readily seen as something that is viable. 
even by me. I talked a minute ago about colloquial terminology for our genitals, like cock, balls, knob, pussy, all those things. And I want to bring it back to when I was young. My genitals were given other colloquial terminologies, which I think because somebody had to help me, I think it was fair that they would use that terminology at that point. I was only about six or seven or eight or nine when, when I when I was young and kind of in the school system needing help. And so my caregivers would say things to me like, okay, Andrew, get your Peter out. Or okay, Andrew, make sure you, make sure we clean your special place. And they would say it in this really sing-song, like, weird tone that was super uncomfortable. And I remember for years I had this one attendant, this one caregiver in the school system who would help me use the bathroom, and she would call my penis a Peter. And I just remember thinking, it's not called that, it's called a penis. Call it a penis at a very, like a very young age. I was, must have been seven or eight, and she would call it a Peter in that sing-song voice. And I would just look at her and roll my eyes and go, you know, in my head go, you know, it's a penis. Say the word penis. It's all right. No one's going to, no one is going to um, be afraid if you use the word penis with me. It's okay. And I remember thinking that at a very young age, why are you, why are you removing this terminology from my vocabulary why are you making it something that's playful and weird when you could just say penis and i think a lot of disabled people when we're learning about our our genitals the 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 chance to use colloquial terminology or proper medicalized terminology is removed from us it's made into something that's playful and um and kind of like secret and dirty and also a little bit weird um by calling it a peter or calling it your private place. I think disabled kids need to hear, if they're being helped by their caregivers, they need to hear proper language around around the genitals. First, when they're younger, obviously the proper language, penis and, and vagina and all those proper terms to get the kid to understand that it is part of their body so they don't they don't deal with body trauma around their genitals because I certainly have and do because of the way my genitals were talked about when I was younger. Um, and I mean, this even happens to me when I'm 33. I had an attendant recently, actually today, on the day of this recording, call my penis my little brother. He was putting the catheter in and said, oh, let's check on your little little brother. And I went, because I have a, a younger brother, I went, oh, what are you, what, what are you talking about? And then I realized... He was mentioning my penis, and I just I said to him, you know, call it what it is. It's my penis. That's okay. We can call it that. That's all right. Um, and I was extremely annoyed that he would make that weird connection. Um, this weird language is is just so detrimental, and it shouldn't be happening ever to somebody with a disability. The the, the language around their genitals needs to be respected and used properly, um, because. It allows them to connect with their body and reinforces for them. If you if you take away the language and call it a Peter or or your private place or weird things when the especially when the kid is if the if the person is going through first of all, I was thirty three this morning when it happened, it was weird. But when I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and you were still calling it a Peter, 
that really created problems for me to look at my body and to look at my genitals properly later in life. It's a giant reminder that this body is not yours and this, this, this life you're living is not necessarily, nor will it ever be, yours. And that can be really, really traumatic. And I didn't even realize it until I started talking about it on the podcast, how much my body sometimes doesn't really feel like mine because of the way my genitals are talked about. I have a whole lot more I want to talk about my genitals with you on this episode, but first, we're going to play some ads on the premier podcast, Shining Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hi, my name is Darren and I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. Let's shine a bright light on sex and disability together. Connect with me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A, and use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark. Welcome back, I hope you enjoyed those ads, those shameless plugs, and thank you to everybody who decided to uh, record a record a little promo for me. If you want to record one, let me know. Send me an email at Andrew at AndrewGerza.com and we'll send you the copy. I'd love to have your voice on the show one way or the other. If you do want to be a guest on the show, hit me up by using that same email, andrew at andrewgerza.com. Let me know what you want to talk about. Let me know what things that we could talk about together, and we'll get you on the show. I want to have a wide range of voices and a wide range of people listening to this program, so please tell your friends, have them listen, rate it on iTunes, and let's get the show up there. Thank you so much. Back to the show. One of the moments that I remember in my childhood really vividly and really, I think was really important for me was I was, I had somebody who was my gymnastics coach and he, I was, I've I've been going to him since I was from about six to about 14, 15. He was my primary coach and helped me do a lot of physical therapy stuff that most physical therapists wouldn't actually do because they, he didn't really follow any policy. He just sort of did stuff with me to get my body moving, which I, which I now really appreciate. When I was younger, I hated it. I really, really hated it. Don't worry. There will be a whole episode on why I hate the gym and why it doesn't work for me and how it contributes to, to me feeling weird about my body. But I really, at the, at the time, I hated what he was making me do. Now I really am thankful for it. Um, and at one point, when he would help me with, with gym stuff, we, we, he would also need to help me pee. So... He would make me, he would support me on his body and make me kind of walk, scissor, scissor walk to the bathroom. And then he would pull my pants down and he would say to me, Andrew, you have to hold your penis and aim. He would, te- he, I remember he taught me how to aim my, my penis into the toilet and go pee. And that was really, I remember being like seven years old and being so excited that I learned how to aim my penis into the toilet bowl because... I really had never touched my penis in that way before, and that really connected me to this sense of 
self-masculinity and self-maleness that I didn't really, that I never really felt before. And I remember being very, very excited that that was happening. Very, very proud of myself as a young boy learning about their body and learning about their disabled body that, that, that this was happening to me. And I, I'm very thankful that he he made me do that. Every time I had to pee, ever since that moment from when I was young, every time I was over there, he would make sure that I would hold my junk into the toilet and pee. And it felt strangely, you know, and, and very. it was a very important rite of passage for me as a young disabled boy. And because I had sort of gotten comfortable with the idea that my body was not really mine and that I had that I needed this help, I will say that I think it taught me rather detrimentally a learned helplessness around my body as a disabled person. I learned that I can I can't touch my penis. Someone else has to. And I, I can't do that. Someone else has to. And so it it really did reinforce for me when I was able to do that with him and he was helping me, it was really an important, it was a weird bonding friendship thing, and I'll never forget him for it, because I was, you know, as a disabled boy, being able to do that, it was a big deal, and it really bonded us, not that particular moment, he was really a good friend otherwise as well, but that moment was important, because he said, I want you, he was kind of saying without saying it, I want you to be able to do this for yourself, and I want you to feel comfortable with your body. This is not not anything he ever said to me in words, but I think the action by itself was an important moment for me. As I got older, though, and I was working my way through puberty, as a penis-having individual, I've, started, I've decided that I'm going to start saying penis-having individual because I think sometimes the binary of masculine and feminine, which I've used in this podcast, Sometimes the binary is really problematic, and so I'm, I'm trying to teach myself to say the words penis-having individual to denote individuals with penises, whether they identify as male or female, that's fine, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to use penis-having individual from now on. So as I, as I was working my way through puberty as a penis-having individual, I was envious of other penis-havers who could stand and walk. I really was. I remember being in like ninth grade gym class and looking at the other boys walking around and, and when you are, or see, I'm, I just fumbled there, the other penis havers um, walking around and you were looking at the, I'm watching the penis havers kind of sway their, you can see it when they're walking around in the gym shorts, you can see their, their penises swaying and so I would watch their penises kind of sway in the breeze um, and I was envious of that. I'm not really sure where the imagery of their penises swaying in the breeze came from, but there it is. I would watch them sway, and I would think, I can't do that. My penis is never going to sway. My penis is never going to, is going to, like, jostle back and forth in my sexy, sexy gym shorts. Um, that's never going to be my reality. And I remember being really kind of upset about it. For me, I mean, my penis... Even now, my genitals are, are you know, safely tucked in a little corner of my wheelchair in, in between my pants fabric. So the whole idea of, particularly around queer male culture of the penis, for me, takes on a completely different um, 
connotation because my penis doesn't sway. It doesn't spring to attention the way you would visualize it were I walking. And so that has played a role in how I see my penis as well. And I, I guess I've always kind of been, and I'm apparently still very angry about that, that my dick, my disabled dick doesn't sway like everybody else's. For myself, as a penis haver, a male-identified penis haver in queer culture, all these jokes about queer men with their big cocks and their big ability to fuck and all these things and their ability to, to grab their cock whenever they want, all these things both titillate me as a queer male-identified penis haver and also make me massively uncomfortable because I always, always, always second-guess my size, my girth, and my curvature of my, of my penis as something that is directly related to my disability and that because I'm disabled, it must be non-normative in one way or another. I'd love to hear about how, how vagina havers or female-identified people feel about their genitals and if they feel like their genitals are somehow not normal as well because of disability, and I'd love to hear that. So if you have any thoughts on that, let me know, and let's talk about it. One of the biggest things that I have to stop doing in my personal life and in life generally because of ableism, um, and there really is no pun intended here because of the biggest thing. Don't worry about that. There's definitely no pun. But one of the biggest things that I need to stop doing around my body and around the way that I present my body to others when we're talking about sex and sexuality is saying things like, don't worry, my dick still works. That's really problematic, and that's something that I have been saying to prospective lovers for quite some time now, for years actually, ever since I started being sexually active now, 14 years ago. I would say to them before they came over or before we started fucking or whatever it was that we were doing, I would say, don't worry, my dick totally works. My penis is totally fine. Everything is good down there. And I would, you know, it w I would say this with such pride and such gravitas and such like, look at me, this is okay, I'm okay, in this really normative kind of gross ableist sort of way, um, in this superficial, jocular, sort of prideful way that has really been misplaced because what I've noticed is as my disability progresses um, along with my age is that my disability has changed my abilities with my genitals and they don't necessarily work as they once did due to catheters, procedures, etc. I'll be super duper direct here and say that, you know, a few months ago I was hospitalized because my I stopped being able to pee and I couldn't I couldn't pee anymore. That was about eight months ago now, and now I use a catheter. And because of my catheter now, sometimes my penis bleeds rather profusely, and it's kind of gross sometimes, but sometimes my dick bleeds. And it's, you know, it's not sexy by any stretch of the imagination, but that's the reality. And so it doesn't work like an able-bodied person's penis might work or genitals might work. It bleeds. And I... That, that caused me, when it first started happening a few months ago, that caused me and continues to cause me a lot of trauma around how I see my penis. 
because I think my penis isn't working when really and truly my penis is beautiful and just fine. But I believe that because I have to insert a catheter in my penis or have somebody insert a catheter in my penis three times a day and sometimes it bleeds, that therefore my body is wrong and it's gross and it's dirty and it's ew and it shouldn't be happening. Now, I learned from the doctor that bleeding from your penis should never be happening. And if it does happen, there's a problem and we should talk about it. But if it does happen, it doesn't mean that your body's gross. It doesn't mean that your body is wrong. And it doesn't mean that your disability in your body is gross or wrong. But that is something that I've had to continuously teach myself. And to tell somebody constantly that my dick still works as some sort of pride thing is really gross and super ableist. And I'm going to really work very hard to not do that again and to not use that terminology again. I went off on that large tangent because of really because of an article that I found a few months ago that I had heard about a few months ago from some other people who work in sex education and they had they had sent it to me and it says paraplegic man uses hilarious pregnancy announcement to let everybody know his penis is working just fine. Thank you. And he says in the post, it's him and his wife, him with his thumbs up and his wife with the sonogram picture. And it says it it works just fine or it, it still works or something like that. And I get it. It's a cute, funny little photo to put on your to put on your social media. And it's if you're if you're paraplegic or quadriplegic and you can make those jokes, that's OK. I think those jokes and crypt humor like that is really kind of funny. And I, I have also made kind of off the cuff or off the trip perhaps jokes around sexuality and disability like that but I think also now looking at it I think it can also be damaging to the way we think about our bodies and the way we are continuously tied to this necessity for normalcy that sometimes our disabled bodies can't allow or won't allow for and I think we really need to reconsider how we can how we talk about our bits and bites as uh, disabled people. I kind of think the practice of announcing that your penis works or your genitals work is rather demoralizing to you as a person. And who defines what the term, quote, work means? Does work mean that I came? Does work mean that I can ejaculate? Does work mean that it feels good? Does work mean that I've got an erection? Does work mean that my, my penis engorges blood? Does work mean that... You touched it and I liked it. Who defines what work means? And I think we need to reconsider as disabled people what this terminology of working things mean when we talk about our genitals or any body part, really. In doing research for this this episode, I also looked into the way pop culture looks at the non-disabled community and how it talks about their bodies and how it talks about how they should should explore their bodies and look at their bodies a certain way. And I found it rather ableist because it says it never talks about disability, but it says things like, after your shower, just go to the mirror and look at your body. And it's telling vagina havers and people with vaginas to open up their bodies and just look at their, their body parts as if it were nothing. And I'm thinking, wait, as a disabled person with spastic CP, for me to just look at my body is a whole process in and of itself and I would really love to see a magazine article geared both to non-disabled people and disabled people that featured 
a disabled person trying to trying to do that that nonchalant carefree thing of going into the mirror after the shower and looking at their genitals do you know how much work it is for us to look at our genitals after the shower it's a whole process we have another person there usually how do you say i want you to leave me in front of the mirror for me to look at myself it's a big deal and it's not as easy as simply walking out of the shower so look maybe you're disabled and your genitals bleed because of catheter insertion maybe you're disabled and you've never been able to see your clitoris Maybe you're disabled and you are non-binary, FTM, and you have several different cocks you could choose from. I think the bottom line is, if your disabled body works for you as a sexual person, no matter how it works, and I think we really do need to retire the word works because it's so detrimental and tied to normalcy and ableism and all those things, if it is functional for you, I say that very carefully because functional, again, has a medical connotation. If it's functioning for you and you're happy with it, then who the fuck cares? Enjoy yourself. Look at your genitals and be proud of them no matter what they are, no matter how they function, no matter what they do or can't do for you. They're yours and they're important and they're valid. If you have any other experiences with your genitals as a disabled person that you'd like to talk to me about, I'd love to have you on the show so we can talk about it further. If you have any other thoughts on genitals and your body as a disabled person that I didn't bring up that we could maybe do for another show on genitalia and disability, let me know. I'd love to have you on. This has been a great conversation, and thanks so much for listening to the premier podcast, Shining Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. This episode of Disability After Dark is a handmade piece of crippled content created just for you. We record, edit, and produce each piece of this show to bring disability to you in a fresh, honest, and sexy way. Help us create more episodes and support crippled content creation by heading over to our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash and pledging if you can. Your monthly pledge goes towards things like audio equipment, podcast hosting subscriptions, and everything we need to bring this disability-centered program to you. By pledging your support, you're showing that disability content has value, means something, and deserves a place in our media landscape. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, music, and audio recordings are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.